Five years ago, when Dr. Leslie Alexander arrived in Seattle to lead the industry organization Life Science Washington, she found a community in a mild state of shock. One of the real challenges was our ecosystem had tons of great research going on in many wonderful companies, but I think our industry was a little bit in the doldrums in 2016, in part because Amgen had just completed moving out of Elliott Bay. Amgen was the giant that five years earlier had acquired Seattle's homegrown biotech standout, Immunex, known for developing the Enbrel arthritis drug, which is still widely prescribed to this day. Immunex was based on a big waterfront campus, which today is home to Expedia Group's global headquarters. But there had been hopes in the local community that Amgen would maintain and even expand its operations in the region after the Immunex acquisition. That closed down had started in 2014. And when I arrived, it was just kind of the last people. And having it move away was kind of, oh my gosh, one more company, one more great company created here in Seattle breathtaking research, commercialization, and now it's gone. But that is just the beginning of the story. Coming up on the GeekWire Health Tech Podcast, what happened next and where the Seattle region's life sciences industry stands today. GeekWire's Health Tech Podcast is sponsored by Primera Blue Cross, providing comprehensive health benefits and tailored services to approximately 2.5 million people from individuals to Fortune 100 companies. Learn more about how Primera is innovating in healthcare at Primera.com slash Primera-Voices. That's P-R-E-M-E-R-A dot com slash Primera-Voices. Welcome to the GeekWire Health Tech Podcast. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop, and joining me on this episode is Charlotte Schubert, a GeekWire reporter and science journalist who focuses on topics including biotech, healthcare, and life sciences. Hi, Charlotte. Hello. Our guest is Dr. Leslie Alexander. She is the president and CEO at Life Science Washington, an organization that aims to put Washington State at the forefront of global life sciences innovation. She recently announced her plans to retire at the end of the year. Life Science Washington is holding its annual Washington State Life Science Summit virtually this week, Thursday, October 21st. Dr. Alexander received her Doctorate of Public Health from UCLA, and she's held leadership roles at startups, Fortune 500 companies, research institutions, and nonprofit organizations. She ran the North Carolina Biotechnology Center from 2002 to 2007. Leslie, it's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start with where we are today. How would you describe the overall state of the life sciences industry in Washington State? right now here in 2021? Well, I will tell you, in a nutshell, I think that the state of the state when it comes to biotechnology and all our life science sectors is really great. I think we're in a wonderful place, a much stronger and more cohesive community. When I look at it, I see true visibility for our state and respect for the research the development and the commercialization that's taking place here that perhaps was not always as visible as it should have been. When I arrived, one of the things that we did was with our board, with our team, and with the community is really take stock of where we were and what we needed to do 
to emerge on top again. And one of the very first things was to build visibility. I think at that point, tech was exploding. And probably no one knows that better than you, Todd, from from covering the industry. Um, And even though we had fantastic, incredible research taking place here, um, until you have companies, until you see the products in front of patients, you often are not getting a lot of attention. Um, so it was a little bit of a feeling of dormancy, of neglect, of people don't recognize how much good work is taking place here. Um, so when we did our strategic plan early in my tenure, the first thing we realized is we have got to build visibility. And by that, I don't mean just nationwide or the global visibility that everybody strives for, it's right here in the state, was to remind people this is a fantastic industry, one that our region should be proud of, and let's see what we can do to make other business leaders throughout the state and our elected officials understand the value of our industry here. Building ecosystem vibrancy became job number one, and then the strategies we put in place through our strategic plan contributed to that. I think if you fast forward to where we are now, gosh, we're not just visible throughout our state. Um, And our industry has grown throughout the state. It's not just a Western Washington industry anymore. Uh, But we are now considered one of the absolute top 10 life science ecosystems in the country. So when I arrived, we were were known as an incredible research cluster. And then two years ago, we were identified as the fastest emerging life science cluster in the country. And last year, just a year later, we made it into the top 10. And I think we're firmly ensconced. I don't think we're going backwards. So Seattle has a a lot of research powerhouses like the University of Washington, the Fred Hutch, and that rivals the research output of biotech hubs like Boston, San Francisco. But our biotech ecosystem is not as large. So when I think about what we're missing, some people have told me we don't have a large pharma presence and that might be one thing that could help build that up. And I'd like you to maybe talk about that and other things that might that we need to, to get to that level. That's a great question, Charlotte. Um, I think we actually do have a big pharma presence in a different way. Some of the ecosystems that have gotten going in this country had big pharma and then big pharma went through one merger after the next. And out of those big mergers shed a lot of talent locally. Um, And so from that came new companies that already had sort of inherent ties to big pharma. These days, Sometimes that label, big pharma, big biotech, I think it's the big companies, right, that have prowess, that have spending power, that are able to invest, and that have commercialized and manufactured. I don't know that we need to say whether it's a pharma company or a biotech company. And of course, we haven't even really talked about medical devices. And we have incredible medical device companies here with a huge presence. Um, What we've had historically, if you look at the track record, we've had one fantastic company after the next build up here, get through FDA approval on a product, and then get acquired. With the notable exception of formerly Seattle Genetics, now CGen, 
really kudos to a company that started up and has just done all of its growth here and never been acquired and is now in a position to do mega deals with big pharma and stay here and grow. But most of our stellar companies were acquired. And when they were acquired, they didn't stay. The acquirer took them and they moved. Now, interestingly, as we have always been on the cutting edge of research, ultimately research is always going to drive in our industry. You have to be ahead of the game. You have to have the next innovation. Our region, it's incomparable when you're looking at what are the hottest areas of research. And that was true 30, 40 years ago when Benjamin Hall did his work on yeast, right? Yeast biology, the seminal paper that led to so many patents, that led to so much money for WRF, for UW. Um, so we've got it and we have it in spades when it comes to cell therapies, when it comes to proteomics and everything related to protein biology. We've got all of that. We have now got commercial talent that are here and staying. Um, I don't think it's that we need, we need to import more big pharma. We have BMS. Right. Look what and BMS, by the way, was one of the acquirers historically. It's bought two or three companies. Right. Most recently, Bristol Myers Squibb bought Juno Therapeutics. Well, I guess they no, bought Celgene. Celgene, which just immediately prior to that bought Juno Therapeutics, which is uh, immunotherapy and which is a pivotal point in our ecosystem, right? There are probably 10, if you go back 30 years, I could probably outline 10 pivotal points for our ecosystem. But in looking at this commercialization, the ability to do that, boy, that acquisition by Celgene of Juno turned out so many top executives who, when you look at the IPOs, how many of those executives are affiliated with those companies and they're doing it faster and more efficiently. So what is it going to take, Charlotte, in terms of becoming sort of size and scale? Of First of all, I've never personally believed that the goal in life is to be the biggest of anything. I've always believed it's to be the best. And we have a healthy presence of life science companies, of research institutions, of um service providers of organizations, the glue that make the community come together, of which Life Science Washington, I think, is an important one. What we're going to need to do to keep our companies growing that are here is make sure they've got the talent that they need to do so. The only thing that really makes them vulnerable is if they cannot hire the employees that they need and are forced to look at other areas or would become potentially targets for acquisition. We want them to stay here and grow. So we've made a very high priority out of workforce development, talking about everything from K-12 STEM through postdoctoral research internships, on-the-job training, to recruiting in talent, is recognizing that to fill immediate needs in the commercialization space, particularly then we've got to go after some of the people that reside in those other areas. Leslie, listening to all this, I realize bigger is not necessarily better, but when you do look at the rankings that 
all sorts of publications and research institutions put out of biotech clusters, life sciences clusters in the U.S. Seattle, I think, as you alluded to earlier, tends to be in the top 10, 9, 10. In Boston, San Francisco, these other cities are considered superior. Is that a misperception on the part of those folks? Are we truly behind those folks? What would it take to get up there? Can you square this for us? Inferior. What kind of comment is inferior? (laughs) They're bigger. They've been at it a lot longer. I'll tell you, I led the North Carolina Biotech Center. Yes. When we made it, I'll never forget my governor, when we made it into the number three spot as, as whatever, you know, I always say, give me a statistic and I'll figure out how to make us in the top 10 or in the top five, right? (laughs) You know, you just pick what you want to measure. But it just killed it. It just killed me when we go to places and he'd talk about how thrilled he was that we were number three after Boston and the Bay Area. And he'd say to me, when are we going to be number one? When are we going to (laughs) be? So here's number one, here's number two. And then you go quite a bit down, right? In terms of size and scope. Who are we measuring for? What is it we're trying to achieve? I look at this much more from that economic development perspective. And what are we doing for mankind in terms of the outcomes of the research we're doing? And I'd say we uh, can be very proud of where we are in terms of solving some of the greatest challenges we face, whether it's global health or cancer. And to measure against something that's so much older and so much larger and say, oh, when are we going to be there? And we're we're not as good because we're not there. I find it's just silly. That's like whoever's bigger, that's the best. <laughs> and yeah. that's, that's not us. We're pretty great. And we're going to get greater as long as we continue to invest, stay with it, keep our attention focused. You know, if you go back a couple decades, the state was very invested into biotech and life sciences. And there were some fantastic things that were done, including starting the Life Sciences Discovery Fund. Um, But it didn't stick with it. And yet, if you looked at what was funded with those dollars, not just the companies, because there were dozens of companies, some that we've talked about during this podcast, that got early funding from LSDF. But it didn't stick with it. The state had a relatively short attention span. So where other cities, where other clusters were doubling down on their early success, um, that didn't really happen in the state. And so I think that we need to make sure that we're keeping our eye on the ball, that we're making the investments we need to in workforce Um, We continue to promote ourselves as probably the most diverse cluster. Um, I would hold our cluster up against any in the country. We are showing people, young people want to live here. They want to work here. They feel included no matter where they're from, that we are diverse, we're equitable, we're inclusive, we're welcoming, and we've got great jobs if you want to be here. Life Science Washington will probably not be using my question as a blurb on its website. Why are we inferior? I I recognize that. (laughs) I do think it is a bit of a virtuous cycle. If you can get into that top five, top three, then it's a self-reinforcing idea. And then the folks who are looking for jobs think of Seattle and then those workforce issues that, that you're talking about. Very much so. These are interrelated. Coming up, how the region's view of big biotech acquisitions has evolved. 
This season of the GeekWire Health Tech Podcast is presented by Primera Blue Cross. The information that we're protecting, the ability for us to deliver our services and products is what's at stake and what's at risk. So our program, as well as my team, protect that. Dr. Adrian Mayers is Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer at Primera Blue Cross. So if we're doing things right, you won't see us. We'll, we'll just be quietly you know, behind the scenes making things happen. But there's a, a tremendous amount of work that goes into that so that it remains seamless. Not easy to do. Dr. Mayers was just named one of the top 100 CISOs in the country by a leading industry association. Threat actors are changing on a daily basis and we're collecting data continuously in real time and we're protecting and defending, but we're also analyzing. So that's where we wanna be able to focus and then do deeper dives and look at that layered approach because that's absolutely what you need, right? You need to have this defense in depth approach to be able to protect this information in a meaningful way. To find out more, visit Primera.com slash Primera hyphen voices. Let's return now to our conversation with Leslie Alexander, President and CEO at Life Science Washington. So I think I hear you saying that perhaps historically the acquisitions of these companies has been viewed as a negative for the region, but viewed in the long term might be a net positive for the ecosystem? I think it was hard in those early days. Um, It's not surprising because if you were going to stay and build here and manufacture here, you were going to have to build facilities if you were the acquirer to do the manufacturing. And you were going to have to bring in certain talent that did not already exist here. Um, As that talent has grown up over the years, when you look at Celgene acquires Juno, And then five minutes later, maybe a year later, BMS acquires Celgene. Why did they stay instead of leaving? Because they want that research prowess for cell therapies, for immune oncology. How did we get into immune oncology on the cutting edge and start recognizing the importance of not just doing great research, but ultimately, if you want to take care of patients, then you've got to build companies. And if you look historically, our region was really focused on the research and less on the creating companies. The unusual company that would get created would get swept away. And by the way, the Hutch is incredible, but I also want to give credit. There are dozens of world-class research institutes throughout our state and places like Institute for Systems Biology, right? PNNL for sure is a federal lab, but the Hutch is kind of the crown jewel in many respects because it's one of the top cancer research centers and treatment centers in the world. Um, So, of course, we've had a big focus in oncology and immunology. There was a pivot point for the Hutch, right? The prior to Gary Gillian, Lee Hartwell, who was the leader, he's a Nobel Prize winning scientist incredible, right? Again, fantastic, incomparable research. When Gary came, he came from Harvard, but before that he had been at Merck. And at Merck, he brought forward Keytruda, right? Which was really the first big approval in immune oncology therapeutic. So he knew what it takes to commercialize something in immune oncology, which everybody's been so excited about 
but doing something in the lab versus doing something at scale for a large patient population is entirely different. And he brought with him that mindset of, we're going to keep doing the great research, but oh, by the way, we're going to also try and provide support to help companies get created and to send them on their way as in as healthy a state as possible. So if you look when he was the leader, we had adaptive biotechnologies, right? We had NOLA. Look at Juno, right? I want to say good on Gary for supporting the heck out of all of the fantastic research being done at the Hutch and also being able to make room to say, I'm going to have some people on my team that are experienced in outlicensing, outlicensing and working with people who have a desire to commercialize this and be supportive, to create a supportive environment for those companies to get going. And I think that's been extraordinarily important for the community. And those those companies, Adaptive, as you know, is going to be opening up its corporate headquarters right along uh, right along Eastlake. So it's wonderful to see the stage of development that they're at. Juno, of course, now folded into BMS. And BMS is growing like wildfire in our region. Are there market trends that you've seen, trends in health, COVID, <laughs> that have accelerated the further visibility of Seattle and Washington State on the national life sciences scene? And absolutely. I mean, first of all, you got to go back and remember biotech's about 30, 40, 40 years old tops. Really, it's about 30 years old as an industry. Um, and if you look at where the strengths, the you have to have the research. If you don't have the research, you're not going to have the companies. Let's just start with that. That's the first ingredient. This region has always been strong in oncology, immunology, virology, infectious disease, nephrology, a lot of the kidney dialysis related work that has taken place here. And now we're seeing in companies focused in this area and increasingly neurology. Oncology, of course, Fred Hutch, right? Between Fred Hutch, the University of Washington, Seattle Children's Hospital and Research Institute, what a powerhouse in that area. We think of the Gates Foundation, right? And what it has contributed into the life science ecosystem. But in fact, they located here because PATH was here. And from PATH and from nonprofit research institutions such as IDRI, the Infectious Disease Research Institute, previously the Seattle Biomedical Research Institute focused in infectious disease, right? Global health. When you think of a global pandemic, how strong is our region in being able to uh, address the challenge of a COVID? Um, COVID itself has absolutely lit a fire in our industry, locally, regionally, statewide, nationally, across the globe. Everybody has woken up to what it means to, um, to be able to do the testing, treat the illness, better still prevent the illness with vaccinations. How do you improve on those vaccinations? The clinical infrastructure that you need to do the trials, 
here in Seattle, particularly in Western Washington, but not limited because we have organizations throughout the state that have been working in COVID. We really had the perfect public health response because of organizations like the Gates Foundation, which was funding the Seattle flu study, the first case of COVID to be diagnosed in the country came from the data from the Seattle flu study. That was amazing. The testing apparatus that was put in place at UW immediately, when you can get testing, right? Academic institutions throughout the country were having to set up their own. Ours was in place very quickly. Trevor Bedford and his colleagues have been tracking the virus and all the variants on a global basis. Vaccines have been developed here, several of them, and there are many underway. The next iteration of vaccines is underway here. Um, Again, that wasn't a new area of focus. Vaccines might have been directed toward other illnesses, but we had that infrastructure in place. What are the metrics or the benchmarks that you use to measure success? Because clearly, anecdotally, qualitatively, it's stronger today. Just looking at it, you can tell. And there's IPOs, and it's just obvious looking at it. But but what are the benchmarks you look at, and, and where are we on those? Well, on research, we continue to just rock it, right? Our numbers are fantastic. And you can you can measure the research by federal dollars, research dollars, particularly NIH and NSF dollars that are coming into our state. Um, You can look at a litany of research milestones, both within academia and within the industry. As the industry organization, we're tracking company creation, how many companies are created, how many of them are able to get funded, what happens to them along their trajectory. Um, And it's not just, of course, the IPOs ultimate. Those IPOs don't happen in general until a company is mature enough to warrant that level of investment. Um, Metrics that we track, we have a program. We, the Life Science Washington Institute, which is our subsidiary that's focused entirely on company creation, startups, and supporting the entrepreneurs that are responsible for them. We created, with monies that came from the Life Science Discovery Fund years ago, right, in that state investment, we have the Washington Innovation Network. It's a group mentoring program. Companies cannot automatically get into it. They pitch. It's a program that was patterned after a similar program at at MIT. And this is over basically seven, eight years ago. We created WIN. When we look at our companies, we are constantly tracking how many companies did we let into the program. They then get a group of mentors and they set milestones and they're in usually for more than a year. When they graduate, they've completed certain milestones. So we track how many graduated, how many didn't. Overwhelmingly, the companies that come in graduate. Typically, one of those big milestones is their seed funding, right? Is their early either, not just their, I'm not talking about early seed. I'm talking about substantial seed or an A round. Um, Our companies, we have about 38 companies that have graduated from when over the last, since it was created in 2014. 
realizing nobody graduated in the first year. Um, those companies have raised over $920 million collectively. And that ranges in all kinds of size of investments. A couple of them have been sold to other companies. At least one or two of them have done an IPO. And then the others are just continuing to raise their next tranche of funding to move forward. Um, so that's an important metric. We look at economic impact of our industry. So we are just completing our most recent economic impact report. And Charlotte, I'm quite positive that you will be number one on our list to contact and say, hey, it's out. Excellent. But what we're looking at is how many companies do we have in the state? What are they contributing in terms of number of jobs across the state? Where are they located? How are they distributed throughout the state? Um, what do they contribute in terms of taxes, in terms of other sources of revenue to our state? Um, what, what are the average salaries? What do the jobs look like? So economic impact is certainly important. Then we track things like product success. What is getting through the FDA? Um, and I think our region has a beautiful record when it comes to that. I think that's one of the things that has made it highly desirable for investment. And most recently, what has really contributed to that? So I know, Charlotte, one of the stories you've worked on recently is around the IPOs. And why is that? Is that just a fluke? Is everyone going crazy because of COVID? And there's no doubt that what happened with COVID woke up a whole group of investors that said, oh my gosh. Then they actually sort of, because they might've had COVID or they've gotten their vaccine, they're getting a little more into what's the technology that has led to that. So what we're seeing is that it isn't just that it's COVID and that's why we're seeing a bunch of investment in IPOs here. It's that we have a lot of companies that have been working over the last decade that have been toiling away doing the research. And now we have a greater pool of seasoned commercial talent who have moved into the area, had success either with Juno or other companies, and are eager to do it again. And so, and they are attracting top talent with them from other parts of the country and also from companies. When Amgen bought Immunex, on the one hand, it was a blow to the region like, oh, you told us you were going to stay and grow. You created this beautiful facility and our hearts are broken once again. But in fact, what you're seeing is that they shed talent like crazy because so many of the people who were working for Immunex from the get-go, they are from Washington. They love living here. They love working here. They want to raise their families here. They weren't moving. And so they wanted to stay in the industry. And many of them have gone on and either started other companies or worked in other companies. One recent example, Just Biotherapeutics, which was backed by the Gates Foundation and became Just Evotech Biologics with its 2019 acquisition by Evotech of Hamburg, Germany. Just Evotech recently opened a new drug manufacturing facility just outside of Seattle. The Just Evotech JPOD facility is a perfect example of that. That team of founders came right out of Immunex. Um, and that's really one of the reasons why we got together with a group of our 
uh, most aggressively growing companies and said, let's get our messaging in place. Let's figure out what are the barriers to people coming here? Because what we were hearing from our companies is we have to, we have to hire from out of state and we're having a hard time closing the deal. So if you go back five years, and I know when I moved here, even though I knew it didn't rain here every day, you can't help but think that, right? If you are not from the Pacific Northwest and you're not from this region and you look at the track record in keeping companies, you're a little bit afraid because what we heard is if I move there, what happens if my company gets bought? Because that's all that ever happens with great companies in Seattle. Yeah, I'll have a few great years, they'll get bought. And then what am I going to do? So there was no sense of the size or scale of our industry. Quality of life, it rains all the time. What am I going to do? Be inside all day long? What kind of a life? Why would I leave sunny California for that? My trailing spouse, are we going to be able to find a job? What else is there? Um, So we put together a campaign that was really designed to combat those messages and to let people see what really exists here in our industry and what what the range of opportunities are. That campaign is called Find Your Best Life in Washington. We have uh, created fantastic videos featuring a diverse set of companies, employees, experiences, not just in their work environment, but how they live and play in the state of Washington. And what a welcoming and inclusive community this is. And we have been getting that messaging out, pushing out the videos through social media, geo-targeting to the areas we're most interested in. We go to the meetings that we want to reach the talent. And we track that. We've got metrics. Every metric you can think of, Todd, to measure the success of that type of a campaign. And our metrics are exceeding our expectations. Um, So anytime you see the phrase, find your best life in Washington, you know it's about that campaign. And we've created a website to back that up. So anybody who's thinking about a job here, any job seeker can go and learn a lot about the region. There are tools there to help them. There are ways to get connected. Um, And we're dispelling. You know, we think of this as a very expensive place to live, right? And relative to most places in the country, that's true. But relative to most of the really big life science hubs, the Bay Area, San Diego, Boston, and Cambridge, New York, our cost of living is actually, and especially compared to the Bay Area, it looks great. People come up here, they buy a lot more house when they do. Um, So one part of it, we're attracting and we know we're doing well because we're attracting from the companies we want and we're attracting the job seekers who are looking for the positions we're trying to fill. On the other hand, you can't recruit in all your talent. And why should you when you've got so many wonderful people already in the state, young people and others that are ready to be tooled up. So on the, on the young people, we want to make them aware of the fantastic careers that are in their own backyard and to understand that the jobs in our industry are not just for PhD scientists or engineers, but we need to have people who answer the phone. We need managers. We need people in supply chain. We need business people. We need an entire litany 
of skills. And when it comes to working in our manufacturing facilities, there are all kinds of jobs that are available for people who have basically graduated from high school and done a certificate program or a two-year degree and on-the-job training, and they're ready to work in entry-level positions in our growing biomanufacturing industry. We're working with our community colleges to put in new training programs for the medical device industry, as well as our biotech and biomanufacturing. We have supported and have been very pleased by the support of our state for new STEM infrastructure at our community colleges, at our universities, um, working in partnership with industry, with academia, with nonprofits to make sure that we are reaching the, the homegrown talent. Um, we're very focused, too, on reaching communities of color, reaching underserved communities, reaching displaced workers who are searching for new opportunities. Believe me, when Boeing was really going through, I think Boeing appears to be um, moving back on the upswing, which is great. But the hard times that it has experienced and the shedding of talent certainly provides a wonderful pool, for example, to retool, to take people who have the right demeanor, have the right interest, people who manufacture, who can do the same job all day and do it in a very focused and rigorous and conscientious manner. They might not know a lot about a biotech company, but they certainly have the right temperament and the right intelligence to be trained to work in a biomanufacturing facility. Um, and then making sure that we are connecting we're connecting our students who are graduating from our wonderful universities, many of them, let's just say, with degrees in biology, for example, who think they're going to be doctors. And as we know, most of our biology graduates are not going to get into medical school. What we found a few years ago is most of them were unaware of the incredibly large growing life science industry we have here, particularly on the biotech side. They were going to the Bay Area to get jobs because they knew that there was a lot of biotech taking place there. What we have done is put in career development workshops, internships, and other types of programs, job fairs, career fairs, to expose them to our companies and to do the matchmaking um, so that they can stay here in wonderful jobs. I've also heard that if you have a biology degree, sometimes it's, it's it's hard to get a job. It's also competitive at the same time, hmm. depending on where you work, I suppose. Maybe that's just been in some of the environments I've been in. Oh, my gosh. It, for us, for our companies, I'd say there are jobs across the board. I'm not aware of any places where there is not a need to hire. And we're seeing it now. We're getting close to that worst possible stage, which is companies poaching from other companies. We want to avoid that at all costs. So honestly, I haven't seen that. And we compete with the tech industry for talent in many areas. At the same time, we have a whole group of baby boomers that are going to be retiring. We had done an in-depth study. When I arrived in 2016, underway, Governor Inslee had created an advisory council on global health and life sciences. I wasn't here then for the first year of that. 
But my understanding at the first meeting, which had some incredible luminaries around the table, and from an industry perspective, Hans Bishop, the CEO of Juno, was there. There was complete agreement that the number one issue we needed to tackle was workforce. People were terrified about being able to hire. And so monies were found to do a complete in-depth analysis of our jobs, what were needed. The study was done by Techonomy, and Techonomy really identified for us what are the specific skills, what are the specific areas of expertise for our jobs, and how do we look in terms of what we're turning out of our universities against how much we predict that the state is going to need of these graduates, taking into account that we're going to have a big onslaught of retirements. Um, and the numbers were pretty scary. And that motivated quite a bit of work in investing in new training programs and new ways to reach graduates to focus in our industry. A lot of folks who listen to this podcast are either in health, thinking about technology initiatives, in technology, thinking about getting into health. We've seen some really interesting examples of technology entrepreneurs getting into yes. biotechnology and healthcare, Sujal Patel and Nautilus Biotechnology. Absolutely. Sujal was uh, with Isilon Systems and EMC and founded Nautilus, which recently went public. Terry Meyerson, the former Microsoft executive uh, and Windows president who now leads the Seattle area healthcare data startup, Truveta. What impact is tech having on life sciences in Seattle? And would you like to see it supercharged? And, and if so, what could be done to further increase that crossover? Absolutely. One of our unique strengths in this area is that convergence. I have to laugh when we use the term convergence, because when I worked for a startup biotech company in the 90s, and the vision of convergence, which in its simplest form, big tech meets biotech, right? With the level of sophistication now of the tools on both sides, that convergence is taking place at a scale that no one ever dreamt possible. I mean, what we thought of as convergence in the 90s compared to now, bringing the tools of AI, machine learning, cloud computing into the life sciences is it truly is revolutionary. We're sitting at the apex of that. Adaptive and Microsoft is another example. We use that example all the time because it's such a beautiful example. You know, Chad Robbins interviewed all those tech companies, right? He really, they were all wanting to, wanting to engage with Adaptive. And listening to him talk about working with Microsoft, why they forged that collaboration and how well it has worked um, is fantastic. But what I would back up and say is we're the home of cloud computing, right? There's no one in the country. There's no other region that rivals what we have here in the greater Puget Sound in that area. And you can tell, just go down the street, you can see every single cloud computing based computing um, company, whether it's in real estate or whether it is in retail, they're all here. That, that prowess is here. Those companies recognizing that if they bring those skills to whether it's life sciences, healthcare, biomedical research, um, that we're going to go to a scale we've never, ever been able to get to. 
um, is one of the things that makes our region special. So you've got the titans of tech meeting the titans of biotech, and I think it's all good. What Sujal is doing is phenomenal with Nautilus, his vision now of where we're going to take protein research. And again, proteins is a big area of research expertise in this area. In some ways, it's turbocharging on its own. I'm not sure how much stimulation we need to give it. I think we just need to shine a light on it um, and encourage, encourage the meeting up of these groups to come together. Of course, money is stimulating that as well, the investment capital that is coming into the convergence in our area is tremendous. That's helpful. We also have a big, big area of health IT, data analytics, and we've got massive healthcare systems locally. You've got so many big research institutions and big hospital systems. Many of them are in the same place. So you have places like Kaiser, and Kaiser Health Research. You've got Virginia Mason and, well, and its new owner and Benaroya Research Institute. You've got Providence. And they're using their own populations and the data to really be able to be the proof point to try things out, whether those that's clinical research in some cases or the data, working with big sets of data. Leslie, is your retirement actually a retirement? Because we hear the word retirement that's code for I'm leaving, I'm taking three months off and I'm finding another job in no. the tech industry, at least. Are you actually retiring? I really am retiring. Okay. And that's at the end of the year? At the end of the year. And then I will be returning to North Carolina um, at that time. I When people say, what does retirement mean? Be, sort of, are, is that code? It's not code. I really am ready to retire. Um, I look forward to doing things much more on a volunteer basis or uh, potentially sitting on some additional boards. I'll, I'll take my time with that. Um, there are many things I'd like to do um, when, I, when I get settled back in. Um, I have a passion for mentoring and helping particularly, but not exclusively, uh, young women who are coming up in the ranks as leaders. So I imagine that I'll be doing some things. I don't know what they are. I look forward to a clean slate. It'll be the first time in my life where I can just really go, I don't have to work. I don't really want to work for a salary anymore. Um, but I'm certainly not going to just sit on the rocking in a rocking chair on the porch and do nothing. Well, Dr. Leslie Alexander, thanks for all of your insights over the years. You've always been very accessible to us in terms of speaking with us and helping us understand what's happening in life sciences. So we're grateful to you. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Thanks, Todd and Charlotte. It's been a pleasure. Dr. Leslie Alexander is president and CEO at Life Science Washington, who recently announced her plans to retire at the end of the year. The organization's board is conducting a search for her replacement. The group is holding its annual Washington State Life Science Summit virtually this week, Thursday, October 21st. You can learn more at lifesciencewa.org and find a link in the show notes on this episode. Thanks to my colleague, Charlotte Schubert, for her research and reporting on this episode. You can find a related story by Charlotte at geekwire.com slash health tech. 
Follow her on Twitter at SchubertCM, that's S-C-H-U-B-E-R-T-C-M, and email her at charlotte at geekwire.com. This is the finale of the fifth season of GeekWire's Health Tech Podcast, and we want to thank our season five sponsor, Primera Blue Cross. You can learn more about their work at Primera.com slash Primera hyphen voices. We're grateful to all of you for listening as part of our loyal and growing audience for the GeekWire Health Tech Podcast. If your company or organization is interested in sponsorship opportunities for future seasons of the show, contact advertising at geekwire.com. In the meantime, to see all of GeekWire's coverage of science, tech, business, and more, go to geekwire.com. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. Thanks for listening to GeekWire's Health Tech Podcast.